the bastards are back for this Tuesday edition of the podcast. We are part of the Minute Media Podcast Network. Just a quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When the Red Sox are getting destroyed, we'll be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended by my voice, accent, or anything else, please press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I felt it incredibly important to have some fun after we just took two games out of three against the New York Yankees. My name is Charlie Smith. I am coming to you from Providence, Rhode Island. You can find me on Twitter at Smith underscore MLB. Our podcast can be found at Bastards underscore Boston on Twitter. Joining me tonight, we have the pleasure of having Jason Kelly coming to us from Canton, Massachusetts, by way of Westwood, Massachusetts. Jason, how are you? And where can the fans find you on Twitter? I'm doing pretty well. That that intro was a trip, man. That was uh, that was pretty damn good. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Color of the Iris and. That's color spelt the British way with the O-U-R. Charlie, you want to give that one a shot too while you're at it? Yeah, so it's color of the iris. I believe that's how we'd say it. And then spelling it the normal way, not the way that you American folks spell it. Exactly. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, man. So thank you for joining us. And then also joining us tonight, we have Terry Cushman coming to us from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, all the way from... Wyndham, Maine. A nice little move to warmer climate. Terry, how are you, and where can the fans find you? I'm bloody good, mate. Coming off a series win, and when I'm in the right mood, I could fake an accent too. (laughs) But uh, yeah, anyway, Cushman, at Cushman MLB, you can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. And uh, I think we got some hot takes tonight. I think we do. I'm really excited. I'm in a, a, a very uppity mood after the way that that series ended. Uh, nothing, you know, this this is a nice little high moment to be on. Uh, you know, this I, I, I'm just going to leave it there. And we're going to let Jason take it off with our first hot take this evening. Sure. Yeah. So our first one comes in from... Uh, Greer Coleman, that's at GT Coleman on Twitter. And he says, uh, Red Sox have a brighter future than any other ALDs team. And I've done a lot of thinking about this one, and I think I still disagree. I know the Red Sox farm system got so much better. Um, I know that their major league roster on paper is very good, but... Xander's future is up in the air. Rafael Devers' future is up in the air. Your $30 million ace can't stay on the mound and keeps falling off his bike or doing God knows what else. Um, And we don't know about any of these prospects yet. And that goes for a lot of other teams in the LEs too, but we don't know what Tristan Casas is going to be. Marcelo Mayer is at least three years away. As much as people talk about him like he's going to be here tomorrow, he won't be. From what we've seen of Brian Bayo, he's good, but not ready. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's the case. I think Baltimore could make a case for having a better future. They have a lot of money to spend. Um, 
you know, their prospects are pretty much knocking on the door. You know, guys like Gunnar Henderson and Grayson Rodriguez are going to be up with the major league team, you know, and, and they're going to be making a big impact. And Baltimore's best players are young and they're, you know, they're in their prime. Cedric Mullins, Ryan Mountcastle, like they're building a future. Toronto even. Toronto's got some expensive guys, but, you know, they've got money at some point. They'll be able to pay guys like Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who nearly won the MVP last year. So I would say Toronto and Baltimore have better futures than the Red Sox right now. I can't really disagree with that, at least for the next two or three years. Uh, after that point, you'll have York up. You'll have Meyer. Um, you got that kid in double A right now tearing it up. Cardenas, I don't quote me on that. But the Red Sox are going to get better, you know, with each passing year. We're kind of hoping that, you know, guys like Bayo turn out and perhaps one or two other guys in the pipeline, but I can't see the Red Sox for the next two off seasons going into spring training, being the favorite to win the division. I think we're at least three or four years away from that. And Toronto's a juggernaut. Some of their bigger contracts that Jason was talking about, Guerrero, Bichette, those are going to be coming up, but that pitching core is in place for the next four or five years with guys like Gosman, Barrios, who's not having a good year, but could turn it around. And you're going to have um, the kid I picked to win the Cy Young there, Alec Manoa, for quite a while. So, I mean, that team definitely has a has a long-term window. And the Yankees are always going to be the Yankees. And, you know, so... We'll see, but I I can't see the Red Sox. If you're talking about long-term future, maybe immediate uh, future, I, I disagree with the um, with the hot take. But You know, this is an interesting one because uh, as soon as I saw it, I was like, this actually could be really interesting. As far as like brighter futures, I think the Red Sox have a good one. I think the Orioles have already shown signs of why they are the team to have. And it's been 30 years since they've had one of those farm systems, 30 plus years since they've had a really, really good farm system. Years and years ago, my dad told me that, you know, oh, you know, when you were, when I was younger, before you were born, even when you were little, the Baltimore Orioles prided themselves on having one of the best farm systems. That was their thing. Grayson Rodriguez crushing it at AAA. Gunnar Henderson made the jump from from AA to AAA and has had one of those hold my beer moments. He's doing fantastic, hitting almost 300 at AAA, making slight adjustments and still getting it done. There are five or six or seven guys in their top eight that are destined for the majors by next year. That's incredible for Baltimore. We already saw Adley Rushman make an appearance and he kind of started off slow, a little cold, and now he's he's fantastic. Adley Rushman, I think, is going to be a, a superstar in the making. Is he going to be Salvador Perez good? Who knows? But this is the next wave of catchers. Like, the way that Buster Posey was lauded and loved in San Francisco, I truly think that Adley Rushman can get there and then take it a step further. 
I think you, it'd be foolish to sleep on Baltimore. And finally, finally, this is the team. I don't think it's a bad take, but I think that the Baltimore Orioles also have an incredibly bright future, perhaps a little bit brighter, just based on the fact that all of their players seem to all be hitting. And that's incredible for a farm system for an AL East team. Terry, there's one thing you want to add? I, I've mentioned this several times, but uh, f- for the heck of it, I'll do it one more. This is the same front office that, for the most part, that built that Astros dynasty. So when when you look at Correa, Altuve, Bregman, Gurriel, uh, I, I know I'm missing probably one more in there somewhere, but though you know the Orioles front office were the guys who who brought those guys from the Astros in so there's some really smart people in that front office that are probably going to build a you know a very well balanced team and probably not going to sign any stupid contracts or very many stupid contracts I should say so just worth reminding And uh, I'm probably next, aren't I? So my hot take comes from a guy who simply calls himself Jack on Twitter. And he says, the Blue Jays will win the AL East. I've been looking at the schedules and the kind of the trends of both the, the Blue Jays and the Yankees right now. I want to make a case so bad that the Blue Jays can do it, but I think they're going to come up a little short. They do have probably the most favorable schedule uh, of any of the AL East teams. They've got the Orioles next, and they got a four-game set against the Yankees, so those head-to-head games can help. Then they got three against the Red Sox. I'd love to say we're going to be super competitive that series, but who knows? We could drop two games. And then the Blue Jays wrap up the month with a three-game set against the Angels and then a three-game set against the Cubs. So they got a couple of cupcake series there. Um, September is kind of a mixed bag. There's, uh, let's see, there's one series against the Yankees, two against Tampa. One of them is actually one of those awkward five-set series that we had against Baltimore. So they're going to get five games in one shot against Tampa. But they do have Pittsburgh, Texas, a four-game set against Baltimore, followed by uh, later in the month, a three-game set. This is a relatively easy schedule compared to what the rest of us are facing. So while I do disagree with Jack, I think if a team is going to reel in the Yankees, it could be the Blue Jays. And they have, a you know, like I said, an easy schedule to do that. So I don't know how much hysteria could happen if the Yankees continue to skid. They've had a, a rough couple of weeks here. Uh, I think they are getting Stanton back soon, so he's obviously going to be a, a huge factor uh, in their turnaround. And their pitching, Yankees pitching's kind of, you know, hasn't been stout you know, much like it was the, the first half, but not quite sure what to think of Montas. And I think they're just trying to get to the finish line here with um, Nestor uh, Cortez. But but I think they come up a little short, being that they're 10 games behind still right now. 
Yeah, I agree with Terry. Um, the gap is just too large. If if it was less than 10 games, if it was six, maybe even seven games, I might be a little more inclined to say, yes, Toronto can catch them because I do think that the Yankees are in a little bit of a second half, you know, not spiral, that they're not completely crashing, but they're, they're on a letdown a little bit right now. Um, you know, they're not exactly healthy. Their pitching staff has gone a little bit backwards. Um, they're just, at this point, grateful that Aaron Judge is not only having an MVP season, and at this point, he's running away with it, um, but he's been healthy. He hasn't really been hurt all year. He, he hasn't had an IL stint. So, like you said, they're going to get Stanton back, and, you know, they're at this point, they're just hoping that their amazing first half, which was, you know, nearly historic, is going to carry them to the end of the season, and I think it will. Um, Toronto is just too inconsistent for me. Um, their schedule is favorable to them, but they're the kind of team that they, they lose games that they shouldn't. And that head to head series against New York, they don't do particularly well head to head against the Yankees. Um, the Yankees have kind of had their number, or at least it seems that way. Toronto hasn't really shown that they can step up and knock those guys out. So I think even if the, even if they split that series, that's not what Toronto needs. They need to go in and win three out of four. Um, they need to sweep the Red Sox, and they may not even do that. So they're just not consistent enough for me to say that they can close a gap of 10 games and catch the Yankees in the division, even with a month and a half to go. So I agree with Terry. I, I don't think Toronto will do it. I think they can come close, but I don't think they'll do it. Full sweep here. It's three for three. Um, if the beginning of the month, hadn't happened already and we still had two more weeks and we were at that 10 game marker. I thought maybe it could have been possible. This is the team that all three of us, in fact, our entire show forecast as being the, the division leaders at the beginning of the season. No one had another team. No one had the Yankees, not one of us. And we're all going to have to eat crow on that one. We all thought that Toronto came out guns blazing the additions that they made, the players that they had, we thought they were going to be a formidable foe. They have a four-game set coming up pretty quickly. Now, I'm curious to see what's going to happen in that four-game series. It's most certainly going to be interesting if Toronto ends up beating New York all four games in New York. That's demoralizing because if you can take those four, you've done, you've done some, some great work. That's almost half of the games you need to win to take the lead over. I don't know if I can say that honestly, because with Giancarlo Stanton coming back, that's a major boost to your offense. You're not going to have to worry about this Tim LaCastro guy who's great at running, but unfortunately can't hit worth a lick. And that's going to be a huge upgrade in the offense. Joey Gallo's not there anymore. You added Ben Intendi. Ben Intendi's not going to crack home runs, but he's going to get on base four or five times more than Joey Gallo was. So, I, I think it's going to be close, maybe within three games, but I don't think they're going to be able to surpass the Yankees. I think the team has done just too much. This would be a monumental collapse if the Yankees were to lose the first place lead. Um, so with that, I'm going to take it with our first hot take. So our first hot take for me, this is coming from March Maznis. 
Um, and this is someone who is a very dedicated, loyal listener, someone who was curious and inquired about joining our fantasy baseball league, who did a very, very good job in their first year. I think it's important to recognize that. So we appreciate you. We're looking forward to uh, your additions next year and your contributions next year too. But for tonight, at, Boston, at Bastards underscore Boston, uh, March Maznus wrote, it might not be a bad idea to let Xander walk. He's too much in his head. Yeah, I'm okay with that at this point. Um, I didn't really like the the mindset that he had coming out of the All-Star break. It felt very prima donna-esque. Things just weren't going his way. And now we're starting to see somebody kind of flail a little bit more at pitches. Yeah, he's getting a couple of hits. Yeah, he's knocking in a couple of runs. This is somebody in the month of August who's hitting 222. A complete different side of him that we we just we're not seeing. Halfway through the month, a run on three RBIs. I'm sorry. If this is someone who really wants to be in Boston long term, I'm not really seeing it. Last month, all of July, hit 286, two homers, 14 RBIs, four stolen bases, wasn't caught, scored 10 runs, seven doubles, doing work. The month before that, 337 batting average, 17 runs scored. And yeah, we won a lot more games, but I'm sorry. You're just not getting it done. You had almost the same amount of hits in all of June than you've had so far in July and August. It's not really going to get it done. And what you're showing in the clubhouse is not saying I'm a leader and I'm okay letting him walk. March Maznes, I agree with this take. I'm okay to let him walk. That's it. Uh, Jason? So I think this comes down to, we all know that Xander Bogarts is going to want more than $20 million a year because all the signs are that he's going to opt out. He's going to look for a new contract. He's making $20 million now. He's going to want more than that. Do you view this version of Xander Bogarts as a $20-plus million a year player? Let's say he wants $25. He's on pace for 15 home runs at the most this year. He's got nine right now. Um, he's hitting 306, which, okay, that's fine. But his defense has been a little bit better, but he's not contending for a gold glove or anything like that. It's been okay. It's been passable, but you know, to say that it's been better than it has been is, you know, a pretty low bar for him. So do you view him as a guy that you would shovel out 25 million a year for? And at this point, as a fan of the Red Sox and as much as I love Sander Bogarts, Raphael Devers is the priority for me. Like, get that guy signed first and I don't care what he asks for. If Rafael Devers wants $30 million a year, I'm giving him $30 million a year because he's proven to be that kind of hitter for you. Xander Bogarts has not proven to be a shortstop worthy of $25-plus million a year. So I'm at the point where I agree with March Madness as well. Let him walk. And, and when I say that, I, I do open the door for the possibility of let him test out free agency. And if every other team in the league tells him, hey, you're not worth what you're asking for, we're going to move on, we're good. And he comes crawling back and says, okay, never mind, I'll take 22 or 23 million or whatever. You come to some sort of 
a little bit more of a team friendly deal with him. I'm a little bit open to that, but yeah, in general, I agree with Marsh Masmus. Let him walk because he has not done himself a ton of favors this year with the season that he's had. He bet on himself and it's backfired. And at this point, you're the Red Sox have all the leverage. Like I said, I'd rather them prioritize Devers, get him locked up, and then see where the Bogart's journey leads you. But right now, he is not a priority for me. I'm going to kind of agree with both of you. One of my big gripes about this team is that it lacks toughness. There's no... There's no grit to them. There's no toughness when their backs are against the wall. They're a team that I feel like surrenders easily late in games. You know, I kind of miss the days where the Red Sox were down by a run or two going into the fifth or sixth inning, and you you just knew they were coming back. You just knew they had this ballsy offense that was going to come back. And I don't see a lot of toughness out of guys like Xander. And I think you need to refresh the chemistry every now and then. And I know probably most of our audience is listening to all of our takes on this and, you know, probably, you know, not, not too happy with us, but I'm just, I, I, I won't be sad if the Red Sox move on from Xander. You've got a guy like Tristan Casas coming up who who loves to to talk crap, especially about the Yankees. And I think I think we need a little bit more of that. And when you look at the whole season that Xander's had, it hasn't been a robust season for him offensively. It's been he's been as flat as he's ever been in his career. He did have a good couple of months, but it's, you know, since then kind of tapered off. And I think part of the problem here is that he's not handling his contract year that well. The pressure of performing in a contract year seems like it might be a little too much for him. And I think that hammers on the toughness point I was just making. I don't I don't think he can really handle a ton of pressure. When you look at Xander's past, he's never been a big postseason guy. There have been hardly any postseason heroics from, from Xander Bogarts. Since the All-Star break uh, this year, Bogarts is is hitting 253 with a 308 on base. That's pretty pretty mediocre for a guy like Xander. He has two home runs and only 12 runs driven in in that time since the All-Star break. So is he a guy you really want to commit to? I don't know. He will break down. He's his 30s are not going to be kind to him. And there's going to be no place to put him here after Probably, I don't know, three years from now. Whenever Meyer comes up, I mean, that's it. He's the shortstop. You're still going to have Trevor Story under contract for two or three more years at that point. Nick York is projected as a, a middle infielder. There's talk of putting him in the outfield. And the only thing that does give me pause about it, though, is who do you replace him with? You're probably going to have to replace JD next year. Kike might not come back. 
So there's going to be a lot of new guys coming in, and there's no guarantees that the chemistry will play out the way we want it to. So that's the only thing that gives me pause. But you have to make tough decisions along the way. And, and parting ways with Xander Bogarts, I think, will probably in the long run be a good decision for the Red Sox. But we do have to sign Devers, like Jason says. So, Charlie? Not signing Devers, just to echo that point, would be an absolute disaster. Absolute disaster. And even more so after what happened in the third game of the Yankees series. There's going to be a recurring trend coming from me. Yes, we had a little fun starting up this show, but I will not be the last one to say if we do not re-sign Devers, to your point, that is going to detrimentally affect the fans' mindset with our president of baseball operations until he is no longer in baseball. And we may lose fans over it. That's how bad it is. I think Jason's up next. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And um, yeah, with that, I'll get to the next hot take. It comes from Brian Jimenez, who tweets to us that Albert Pujols will hit 700 home runs before the end of this season. So for those keeping track, Pujols has eight home runs this year in 65 games. Um, He's up to 600 and 87 on his career. So this is going to be a tough hill to climb because he's got a month and a half left to hit 13 home runs. So um, unless he, uh, unless he calls up Fernando Tatis's uh, personal trainer there or whatever, um, I don't think it's going to happen. And I'm a big Pujols guy. I've always liked Albert Pujols. I would love to see him hit the 700 mark. I hope in a way that if he gets to like in the 690s, that he does come back next year just to finally get that 700 threshold. He doesn't need it. He's going to be a Hall of Famer regardless, but I would like to see him get that threshold at least. It's not going to happen this year. He's just, he's too far behind. There's not enough games left. He's a part-time player at this point. So he'd have to have like, a ton of pinch hit home runs and just an incredible second half. And I don't see it happening. So as much as I would like to see it happen, it won't. He's going to fall short. Well, I wouldn't recommend Fernando Tatis is a steroid dealer. He, He ought to find someone else. But it's interesting with Albert. I mean, will the Cardinals bring him back? For next year, I I don't know that that's a given. (laughs) I think his agent better get on the phone with the Colorado Rockies and be like, hey, you got a park that might help our guy get his extra, what is it, 12 home runs or 15 home runs, something like that? 13. 13, yeah, to get to uh, the record because I don't know that it makes a ton of sense for, for St. Louis to bring him back, but... Yeah, a little little insane, though, with uh, the Tatis news. Imagine signing a player who can't ride a motorcycle very well, puts questionable things in his body, and you still owe him well over $300 million. 
crazy. I honestly think that 700 home runs for this guy was going to happen. And the reason why it didn't was because of the COVID year. The COVID, the COVID year really ruined any opportunity for him to get that to happen. It never really had a chance to materialize because that was like the true decline of Albert Pujols when he turned 40 years old. He only played in 39 games in that you know very, very shortened season. But Jason, you were just saying about how if he was in the low 690s or even mid-690s, I still think he'll finish this year up around 691, 692. I think he'll another another five. And that being said, I think he could have had 700 right on the money when his career was over if 2020 was a full season. He played 39 games on the average. That's another 18 home runs. Call it with error, another 12 or 13. 12 or 13 home runs right now would put him at 700 if he were to not hit many more right now. Even if we call it 10, he's at 697. He needs three more home runs for the rest of the year. I absolutely think that this is someone that really does deserve to have 700 home runs. I would not be upset if Albert Pujols came back next year and attempted to come close to 700 because he will be in the 690s, low 690s next year. And I think by the end of 2023, if he does decide to take a major league minimum, he will hit 700 and he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer, just like Mariano Rivera. Well, people are still passing Robinson Cano around, uh, you know, so maybe maybe it'll happen. Maybe somebody will look at Pujols and be like, well, you know, we could use some leadership in our clubhouse and, and you know, sign him. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Albert Pujols in the early 2000s was the Mike Trout that we never had. This was the most consistent guy. He was a top three, top four MVP guy almost annually. He won the MVP award three out of five years and was probably robbed another one or two times. This is somebody who, for the first eight, nine years of his career, I mean from 2001 to 2010, in a 10-year span, had 408 home runs, 1,230 RBIs, was averaging 331 with 1,900 hits. Yes, decline happens. And yes, other things can happen. But between 2001, 2010, we never in our lifetime saw that stretch. Ever. He deserves to be a first ballot Hall of Famer with a unanimous decision. This is somebody who, like you mentioned, Terry, you want to have that leadership. This is your guy. He's not going to be doing any of these little you know, blank, blank games with any teammates. He has no problem embarrassing players on the other team. And the first play that comes to mind is when Yasiel Puig was just kind of playing a laissez-faire center field and Albert Pujols tagged up to take second base when he was throwing the ball in this from second, you know, center field into second base, not really paying attention and then realizing, oh my God, Old as the hills, Albert Pujols just took second base on me because I wasn't paying attention. And Albert Pujols follows it up by just going like this, just kind of looking at the sky like, what? Like, come on, what are you doing? And just completely calls him out. And there's just this mutual like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I won't do that again. And, and just an understanding. And there are very few players in Major League Baseball that can do that, show up an opposing team's player, and them not get upset because they just recognize 
yeah, I, I messed up. Not not all players have that kind of pull, and Albert Pujols is one of the few. There's also some conspiracy theories out there that he's older than he is by a few years, and apparently that's common down in you know the like the Dominican and those Central American countries, or you know the and around the Caribbean as well, where they'll they'll lie about a player's age to make him more attractive, you know, a 17 year old with, you know, huge power is going to be more attractive than a 20 year old with, with huge power. So there's been a couple examples. I, I, I don't have the names up in front of me. Um, it, it's happened more, I think with pitchers than anyone, but yeah, we'll, we'll never had a know. couple of infractions. The Royals had a couple, one or two pitchers like that. Um, I don't remember if it was Yordano Ventura that had that on his on his name or not, the late uh, Yordano Ventura. But there were a couple pitchers, to your point, Terry, that did have that. I mean, heck, if Albert Pujols isn't 42 and he's 45, he's still hitting home runs. <laughs> yeah. You know, like he's still getting it done. He's like the Nolan Ryan of offense. He can play endlessly. And I really do want to see him hit 700. I think it'd be sad if he didn't get it. Yeah, the, the, the most famous pitcher example of that that I can remember is El Duque. El Duque oh. was like, I think he ended up being four years older than he really was. <laughs> oh, and they didn't realize until like after he retired. But yeah, he was like actually in his 40s when he retired when everyone thought he was like 38. So, yeah. Yankees uh, pitcher. I, he might have been from Cuba, if I'm not mistaken. But um, yeah. So it happens and there's rumors, you know, surrounding Albert that Perhaps he is. Well, we'll never know, I'm sure. But, um, but yeah, he, he debuted in 2001. That's the year I graduated high school. In 2001, I was 140 pounds. I'm, I'm about 220 now. Um, just crazy. Like, that's over half my life ago that he, he debuted. So, yeah. All right. Um, Here's uh, my second hot take. It comes from a guy named Steve Rosenheimer. And he says, mac and cheese is gross. Okay. Now, here's my response to that. If you hate mac and cheese, you hate life. And, I mean, it's the most universally accepted food that there is. It's almost like pizza. Like you almost can't really have bad mac and cheese. I mean, you can have some really mediocre, like, okay, it was edible and I'm not going to have diarrhea in an hour mac and cheese. But but it's very rare that you have bad mac and cheese. And I've said before on the podcast, I one of my hobbies is uh, I play cribbage competitively. There are tournaments around New England. If anyone's wondering, go to cribbage.org. Check your local clubs if you want to get involved. But... Uh, but anyway, so that's my thing. And when I was living in Maine up until last December, we were playing at a pub in downtown Portland, Maine. And I would always order the same thing every Wednesday when I went there. And it was the the place was actually called Gritty's, Gritty McDuff's. And they had a really good pulled pork mac and cheese with um jalapenos uh as an option to be put on which i got 
And it was like the most delicious thing I would have every week. I would almost look more forward to that than I, I did playing cards. So couldn't disagree more with Mr. Rosenheimer on his mac and cheese take. Yeah, I second that. I couldn't disagree more. Mac and cheese is the bomb. Um, especially if you get, like you said, the loaded mac and cheese, like you mentioned, pulled pork. Uh, if you want bacon in there, like it's just, you can't go wrong. Even just something as basic as the little mini like craft singles ones where you just pour some water in and microwave it and then mix it up and throw like the, you know, the cheese dust or whatever that crap is in there. <laughs> it's, it's really it's still good. It's still but good. it's so awesome. Yeah. Like I lived off that in college. Oh my God. Like that, that and ramen, that was my, that was my diet. What's your favorite week. ramen flavor? Oh, I really like the beef. Um, what was it called? It was like, it was like a sort of teriyaki beef ramen. Oh, I that was good. That. Yeah, that was really good. But yeah, it was like ramen one night, mac and cheese the next night because I was a degenerate in college and just all my classes were at night. So I slept till like three o'clock in the afternoon, made some mac and cheese and then went to class. It was great. So yeah, mac and cheese is amazing. Unless you're lactose intolerant, I guess yeah. sucks for you sucks. if you are. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But if you're not, then like, how could you not like it? It's just, it's so easy and it's just, it's just like a nice, you know, heartwarming kind of meal to have. Like, I don't know. I, I, I agree. I agree with you. I can't disagree more with him. My favorite ramen flavor. I don't eat it often, but I, I like the Oriental one. I just, it's one of my favorites, but. That's solid. Yeah. I, I don't have junk food. I don't have garbage. <laughs> everyone pretty knows me. Everyone pretty much knows me as the healthy one in the group. Um, you know, uh, that that's just my thing. I try to stay as active as I possibly can uh, when when able. Uh -huh. But uh, I, I don't have ramen. I don't know how anybody could say that that negative anything about mac and cheese. It just it, it just sounds wrong. You know, you know how like some some takes can be different, some can be off, and there are some takes that are just like, ah, you put that into the universe, and now it's in writing. Now we we know you feel this way. I just don't have that kind of opinion over over mac and cheese of all things. It just it feels so random, you know. Like uh, there are some good mac and cheese places, especially out in California, depending on where you want to go. Um, but you know, when you just want a rainy day. You want to watch a movie, cuddle up with your pet, and just kind of relax. Mac and cheese or popcorn are probably one of the two things you're going to go for. I'm just speaking from truth, at least for me. It's mac and cheese or popcorn. So you lost me there. Any, anything else that you want to add, uh, Terry? I thought you were going to say something else. I, I'm good. I, I think I'm going to have mac and cheese tomorrow at some point. There you go. There you go. Right on. Uh, so uh, my second take and the last one for this evening is coming to us from 3-D historian at 3D underscore historian. Apple suck both the fruit itself and the juice. So interesting take, 3-D underscore historian. Thank you. Um, apple juice, really, really high in sugar. Apple itself, really, really like big in sugar. I have an apple every day. Um, I have a banana in the morning. 
the juice itself, I don't drink. I only drink sugar-free Gatorade or calorie-free Gatorade and water. I'm very boring in that sense. Um, while those apples to you may suck, I don't know anybody that doesn't have at least one, ironically enough, apple product that they rely on either for work, for life, or for health, whatever. Um, I can't say that apples suck. The, the fruit itself, I love. It's probably one of my top three or four favorite fruits to have, and I have one daily. I don't. I, I can eat it with the skin, without the skin. I don't care. That puppy's going down. That's just me. Uh, Jason? Yeah, I have to disagree. So apple juice, I'll give him that one because, like you said, apple juice in general is so high in sugar. It's It's actually like – so I remember – so I suffer from migraines a lot and like – I remember when I was a kid reading up that like drinking apple juice can help stave off migraines. The problem is it has so much sugar in it that if you're not used to having that much sugar, you crash down from that and that gives you a headache. So it didn't work out for me. Uh, the apple juice thing, I just, I jumped off that pretty quick. Apples in general, I like, but I have to have them with like peanut butter or something. Because the skins, I, I don't like apple skins. They get in my teeth, and that's annoying. But apples themselves are very good. Caramel apples in the fall doesn't get much better than that. That's like, and, and I'm a big fall guy, so th those are always the best. So apple juice, I'll give him that part of it. But apples themselves, no, th those are good. Apple pie is still the best, like especially homemade, like with fresh apples and stuff. So I disagree with half of that. I, I think apples themselves are still really good. I, I disagree with this whole take really. Um, I don't really drink many fruit juices, but I think orange juice can be hit or miss depending on the brand. And I just feel like apple juice just universally tastes good. Uh, but I, I love Apple everything on top of it. And by the way, I'm the I'm the chubby guy on the podcast. I think I already said I weigh about 220. Um, safely the, the chubbiest one on here. Uh, but if I'm going to have pie, it's probably going to be apple pie. I, I love that over everything else. My I'm not a huge drinker, but if I do, I like hard apple cider. Whether I like the local stuff up in New England, Northeast uh, apple cider is um, is really good. It's my favorite one. Um, every bar seems to have Angry Orchard, which I will drink, but I'm not just not a huge fan of them. Um, I do like Red's Apple Ale a little bit. Um, so especially the the sour green one which is really good sour green apple i think it's called but um and i i'll always try any local one though anyway but but anyway so like i said anything apple i'm i'm usually uh good with cool um well i i think that just about wraps it up for us this evening i want to thank you both Terry, Jason, for joining for another episode of some hot takes from our dedicated loyal fans. Um, and we want to thank you all for for listening to us and sharing your, your hot takes with us. Wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts, whether it be Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen to podcasts, we thank you, we appreciate you, and we look at, we look forward to chatting with you real soon. Everyone have a great night. Take care.